I had a hobby too. Mine happened to be guns and ballistics. I studied guns and ballistics as much as I could and I wrote an article about high velocity. So out of all my years working at Weatherby, the last five have been some of the most exciting. Working with Adam, with him running the company. And to think that I get the opportunity of carrying on my grandfather's legacy 75 years later here in Sheridan, Wyoming. I mean, it really is a dream come true. On Our Mark, the Weatherby Podcast. Welcome back to On Our Mark, the Weatherby Podcast. JD, you're already laughing. This is a a great intro. Sometimes before we actually start recording, we just talk about a few things, and uh, JD wasn't ready, but I was ready, so I started. And I'm not going to edit this out, and I'm not going to restart. Everybody likes laughter. Welcome to the show, JD. Thank you. Welcome. So today we got a cool topic. We're going to talk about optics. We get a lot of questions about optics. Uh, obviously, I think that we're as close as you can get to probably rifle experts, shotgun experts. But when we're talking to people at shows, they're like, man, I just got this gun. Now what, what scope should I put on it? And then enter a whole new barrage of questions <laughs> to try to figure out. We just figured out a cartridge. And then we're now we're trying to figure out an optic, and sometimes the optic can go hand in hand with the cartridge. And so some of the questions that we already asked, we got the info. But um, all of us in here have spent a lot of time around rifles and optics. And uh, one of us here used to work at an optics company. I'm not going to say which one; just leave that open, you know. But JD, <laughs> JD is the guy, but I'm not going to say which company. So today on our podcast, we've got me, Luke. We've got Tyler. JD and Jared wasn't sure if you were expecting me to say was, my own name. You, it looked or, like or you were you about forgot. to say something. So Deal. no. So I think everybody's been on here enough times. I'm not going to go into more intro than that. So this everybody's becoming a staple. Which yeah, is awesome. Jared's a regular for sure. So um, there's a lot to optics, right? We've got scopes, binoculars. Uh, range finders would fit in like both, I guess, handheld and range finding binos. We've got spotting scopes. We probably won't get real heavy into spotting scopes today, but really I want to talk about the pairing of uh, binoculars and rifle scopes. And the options are endless. You think picking a cartridge is hard? Man. <laughs> I've got, I get like analysis paralysis sometimes on which scope to take on what hunt and what type of hunt is it? How far to, are you expecting to shoot? Like there's so many variables, but uh, let's, let's just like start at the beginning. Jared, you're like our resident super guru. We call him Gun Wikipedia. Give us just a little history. A little All bit, right. Little bit so of history. little history in optics. So they started putting them on, people started putting them on scopes just like everything else. Everything like hunters cheat off of uh, competitors, so it's like we look at what they're doing, and it's like oh, they're putting like optics thing optics on rifles. So um, early 1900s, people start doing that. They're not very durable. They are not waterproof. They're not fog proof, um, and basically all of them had like they all of them had backup iron sights. You needed to be able to detach it because it's like hey, if the, when this breaks, I need to take it off. So um, they were kind of like a really niche thing. And then um, basically just kind of grew into, you know, more like you could buy them off the shelf, you know, 
mounts became more standardized, things like that. So, um, yeah, by like, I don't know, I wasn't alive back then, but 1950s, 60s, like that's really like you'll see like a lot of the era of those rifles where they have, yeah. they'll come from the factory with iron sights on them, but they're starting to expect you to put a scope on. So we don't really have any iron sights anymore except for the dangerous game. Yeah. That, that's it. And even even then, I mean, a lot of people are using like a one to six for a dangerous game now, just to give you a little more options and variety. Mm-hmm. Um, JD, you spent some time at an optics company. What like what 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 are like the first couple questions that you ask somebody as they're like, hey, what scope should I get? It's always the how are you using it. Everybody says, what scope should I get? Before they've described what caliber they have, what they're hunting for how far they're going to shoot. There's so many variables. Um, the other thing is, like you described, the analysis paralysis. Even amongst a line and one specific brand, the reticle options or the turret options, there's so many things that you're going to go. There's oh, like, a lot. Yeah, I like this one, but then you look through it. Everybody's going to have one that they look through, and they're going to go, I really like that one. It's either what I'm used to looking through, and I really like that, or it's what I was looking for. Um, but the caliber thing is such a, uh, like do you have a, a gun that you're planning to shoot a mile with or is this something that you're going to shoot to 200 yards obviously those are like wildly different scenarios so and there's so many people in between if they're wanting to do where they might hunt the timber and you know have a close-up shot and they need a, a low mag scope that is going to do really well in low light or are they like you know what I'm, I'm antelope hunting and you know it's it's likely not going to be a low light situation but i am going to shoot a long ways um, are you packing this thing? Are you, tr- are you building like the lightest rifle there is? Or are you trying to have like a, a medium weight, you know, that you're okay with having a little heavier optic because you went with a lighter gun? Like there's just, I don't ever like telling somebody, hey, you should get this one. It's always the, tell me more about what you're doing and how you're going to use it before I would start to recommend something. There, there, there really are so many factors Jared, I'm looking at a little cheat sheet that you put together. I'm like, there's so many different topics that like each one could almost be its own like dedicated podcast, like Mills versus MOA. Like, holy moly. First versus second and Mills versus MOA, I feel like are the two right now that Jared is a dear friend. But (laughs) when we talk about this, I want to strangle him. (laughs) There's some like... And everybody has strong opinions on it. Like I'm... I'm easy to rile up, but it's definitely one that people are very opinionated about. I feel like we should break this up too of like, so the best scope that's like the most popular scopes are like three to nine duplex reticle. There's, you know, really not much to them. And then it's like, then you just start adding on all these things because that kind of hunter like doesn't need to pay attention to like most other things that we're going to talk about. I feel like, you know, yeah, I mean, we're probably going to get fairly technical. And uh, if for, for me, good enough isn't. You oh, know, yeah. for, a lot of, for a lot of people, good enough is. And I think for the, my mindset for the purpose of this conversation is like good enough is not. Like I want, I want the best possible thing, especially when you're pairing it with a Weatherby. Like we were talking about, you probably have already spent some serious dollars on a really nice rifle. You, if you don't, do the equivalent on a scope it's 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 kind of like what's the point like if you can you just bought a rifle that's capable of shooting 
seven, eight, nine hundred thousand plus yards, your, your, your glass needs to match that, right? That's something that people, uh, when I'm talking to people about buying a scope specifically for a gun, there's things you can do to a gun to make it better. You can get a new stock, you can get a new trigger, you can put a new barrel on it. There's things to make upgrades. The, the day you buy that scope and start using it is the best that scope's ever going to be. And if you buy a quality scope, it'll last you a lifetime. So if you have it for the next 20, 30 years, hopefully you pass it on to one of your kids and it's still going to be a, a high quality one. If you buy a junker, it's something you're going to replace multiple times. And then you could have ended up buying, yep. you know, one good one if you just waited. And when do you replace that? Do you replace it when it fails and you're on a hunt? That's, um, that's the other thing that I hear people say all the time about. It doesn't matter. There's a ton of companies now that have the lifetime transferable no fault situation as far as the warranty. But they'll say, oh, I had great experience with such and such manufacturer. They've replaced this scope three times. And I'm like, did you hear what you just said? <laughs> you had to send it back three times? Like, that's not good. That's a terrible experience. Just because they did a good job of taking care of you doesn't mean that that's what you should go with. To me, I, when I was a retailer in optics, people would call and they would say, can I buy this scope? And I would say no. And sometimes I'd be like, what do you mean no? You sell this scope. And I'd be like, you don't you want that one. You won't like it. Yeah, it's not going to work for what you're saying you're you know, going to use it. So um, the the investment part of it, I think is really important that so many people look and save forever to get, you know, the gun. They thought about the gun forever. Their dad had a Weatherby and they've saved forever to get it and they totally forget about the scope. And then it's like, well, that's a pretty big expense that you have in addition to the rifle. So, um, that you have to keep that in mind when you're making a purchase like that. I, I think, uh, I've got an, I've got an idea. So for the sake of this conversation, let's just say, we're going on an elk hunt in the West. Doesn't really matter where in the West, but we're going on an elk hunt. Uh, in, in the Midwest on a whitetail hunt, you're probably not likely to shoot more than 300 yards. Can, can we all agree on that? Fair. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. pretty fair. Uh, so on this elk hunt that we're going on, you could, you could encounter elk from five to a thousand yards, right? You don't really know. Sometimes you gear up, you get everything set up, to shoot really far and then all of a sudden that huge something steps out less than 100 yards you're like well and then the question is would that have happened if you weren't ready (laughs) right yeah (laughs) but for so for this conversation we're going on an elk hunt we don't know the exact distance of our shot we've got a rifle and a cartridge capable of shooting a thousand yards okay is your mindset of the person who's hunting coming from the Midwest who also uses it for other things no, or strictly no. I'm this about is, to build a this elk is rifle. Your personal mindset, each, okay. each of us four gotcha. individual, our own mindsets. Okay. So let's just say you've got a, say you've got a Weatherby backcountry, a Mark five backcountry and 300 Weatherby. You're going on an elk hunt, Jared. Oh man. That changes it. When the cartridge said, changed said, it. No, when he just said backcountry. So now I'm thinking of like really lightweight, but so um, if I'm going to reach out super far, I think we could probably talk about like, you know, like uh, so the Leopold CDS dial mm-hmm. is like a really good option for, I would not say a thousand yards, but like if you're talking like five, six, seven kind of a deal, they're really pretty. I ha- actually had one of those on my 300 Weatherby. And it was awesome. But once you got out to like closer to a thousand where you're having to account for environmental environmentals and everything else and 
that's when it's like it really started to be like like okay this is you know not the perfect setup so if i'm going if i want to reach out as far as i possibly can then i would just go to a simple like my favorite is like really simple mill reticles that are like a you know basically crosshair with subtensions and jd's shaking his head right now. so so <laughs> you're, you're are you team mills i'm, I'm absolutely team mills yeah. This okay. is where we start to argue. And not okay. because I don't like Mills, but because people want to say you have to be in one or the other. Yeah. That you can't be both. Right. I, right. I prefer Mills. So so I would pick a Mill scope with like a like a Leopold TMR reticle or something similar where it's like half mill, you know, subtensions and then basically for a, and then you can calculate all your your ballistics data and if you wanted to use, you know, everything from a ballistics calculator to your phone to your you know, binos or whatever else. And that will really help you reach out farther. So that's probably what I'm leaning towards. But I would say like, I mean, for that, Leopold Mark V, 3.6 to 18 would be it. Team Leopold. Okay. Yeah. I like that choice. JD? Uh, Night Force NX-8, 2.5 to 20. Hmm. That's a great one too. Okay. Why? Um, <clears throat> even though that's a super light rifle, that's one of the things I do like about going with a lightweight rifle that that scopes on the heavier side, um, especially for like a backcountry. Um, but it has everything that I would want out of it. It's got a ballistic stop or zero stop. It's got an illuminated reticle. You don't have to use it if you don't want to, but I'm envisioning this, uh, fake elk hunt that we're on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe, you can arrange it yourself. Yeah. That we're maybe, you know, still hunting through the timber and you might need it on two and a half in real low yeah. light conditions. But I'm also envisioning like big open meadow, you know, right. long shots where that scope's got a hundred or 110 minutes of travel. So it'll, it'll stretch out. What's a zero stop? Um, that is one thing that uh, a common question, um, so when you're zeroing a scope and you have the elevation turret, so the turret that's on top, um, when you make the adjustments to zero, then um, everybody does it differently. But a lot of times it's a vertical and a horizontal pin or cam so that um, when you return... In, in the turret. Inside, yeah. yes, sorry. Um, once you've taken that top cap off, um, that then it can index to so that you're always able to return to zero without looking. So some have a locking where you would lift it to turn but most of them it's just going to be you turn and when you hit zero you can't go any further you can't go below mm -hmm. some do have a sub-zero function um, i'm not as big a fan of those for hunting necessarily but um, some people like to do like a two or three hundred yard zero and then they can you know go below zero with that i'm on that team uh, yeah. like I, I i am pro zero stop just so you're like if you are shooting like a thousand sometimes you're more than one revolution of your your elevation turret and then if you can't remember if you went back the last time you shot or not it's like oh no what did i do what have i done <laughs> yeah there last I year yeah. we had that exact scenario a friend of ours we were hunting with somebody that reached over and spun their turret and yeah. thought it had a zero stop, and it didn't. And he just he wasn't <laughs> sure how far it went. Yeah. And so then he ended up shooting my rifle the next day. But I do like to set it, if possible, to where you can go like to minus three. Mm -hmm. I'm a, uh, I do MOAs, Jared. Sorry, but it's just what I. It's what I'm familiar with. Uh, I haven't played with Mills as much, and like the math and all the MOA stuff just makes sense in my head, and it works. So. 
That's so what mills I do. don't really work in your head. I mean, they could. What I'm saying is, I haven't tried to make them. It's essentially <laughs> it's essentially <laughs> a language. You got to learn all the lingo. Like it is. I I think so. When you're like talking to it people depends about on it. what solver you're using. If you have a solver that does both, and it's just a number. If I tell you to dial that, to four, true. yeah, and you don't know if that's four hundred, four mils, or four moa, if you dial, it doesn't and hit matter exactly. Right. Yeah, it's, it yeah. doesn't matter. That's that's what my setup would be. I I would like to keep it a little simple. That's how I always approach things for me. Like zero stop, yes. Like there's no way I'm gonna make this fail when it, maybe my brain is a little frazzled. So I'm going like first vocal plane MOA with zero stop. That's kind of like what I would do. I'd probably actually do that RS1 from uh, Maven and then do a custom turret. So it's like this is my gun that I know three is, to fifteen. Yeah, the three to fifteen, and then add a mm. custom turret to it. Because again, to me, it's like this is the for this gun. The scope is never coming off. So for me, it's like I want to go through all that to know that this is that dialed for that setup. That's how I'd approach it. Make it easier for me. So in the in the minute that you got to make that shot count, maybe I, I'm not having to think as much. Right. Yeah. So I played a lot last year with the NX8 4 to 32 Night Force, and became a pretty big fan of that scope. Uh, I really liked the higher magnification personally um i tend to hunt on one hillside and like glass across to the other and if possible shoot them over there because sometimes in the trees like you're not sure if you can really get that close to them anyway so for my hunt style i like more magnification plus at 32 power you almost can get away with skipping a spotting scope like that's that's serious (laughs) magnification I'm a first focal plane fan. Like I, I actually like hate second focal planes. Can't stand them. We should probably tell, say what that is. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> JD, you want to? So first focal plane, um, and this is one that's really commonly. This is confusing. Confused. It's confusing. Um, did I say second focal plane in my? Se- no, you said. No. First. I said first. Okay. First. I wanted you to make sure because, but it's a common one because ninety plus percent of users, the, all of us that had two to sevens or three to nines growing up as a kid, that were just a standard scope. They're second. No They're second focal plane, yeah. but people confuse the two. First focal plane, your reticle is going to increase or decrease as you zoom. As you zoom, right. or decrease your magnification. Right. Second focal plane, it will stay the same size in relation to the target as you zoom. So those subtensions are not accurate, meaning you can't use your holdover unless you're on max magnification or you do the math, mm-hmm. which most people don't want to do. The difference in that is that when those when first focal plane you know became popular in the hunting crowd, they were popular with military and competition before that, but cuz they're better <laughs> with with the hunting crowd, if you're using a uh, a usable what I call usable uh, magnification, so a lower mag that's like a 2 to 20 3 to 18, 3 to 15, something in that range. There's not a scenario in my mind where, uh, at least that I've been hunting, where I would need a holdover because the bullet's going to drop enough that I'm not going to be on max magnification. Now, if you're using a 32 or a 35 or some very high magnification Mm -hmm. scope, yes, you would likely be backed off because you're going to have such a narrow field of view. So to me, that's what, it's really nice... for the type of hunting that I do, that even though we go and shoot long range and practice and all that stuff, that I'm not shooting the extreme long distances for hunts. So for me, I've yet to have a time in the field where I was going to shoot at something where I needed a holdover and would have had to use subtensions that I was not going to be on max magnification. But that's because of the scopes that I'm choosing are not 
you know, a 20 or maybe a 24 is going to be about as high as I'm going to use. So most of the time I'm not able to use it as a spotter. You know, I'm bringing one, Um, but I've never had that scenario where I have, and this was more when I was guiding, had people that something jumps up close, whether it was a deer or an elk or whatever, and they cannot shoot because they had a, a tiny little reticle that was first focal plane because as you lower your magnification and if we were hiking through the timber or whatever, they can't see yeah, it. On a four to 32, when you're on four power and you try to pull up in lower light on something that's dark, and if you don't have it illuminated, it is quite hard to see what's happening. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with that. So Are, my, my argument there is if I had something get away at 400 plus yards, you know, if there was a buck out there 500 yards away and I didn't get a shot at it, because of the scope I was using, I had like trouble getting on the animal versus one that jumped up at 20 that I couldn't shoot. I'm going to be far more upset about that scenario of something that I could have shot with my bow getting away than the other. I feel like that's, that's like the, the really, whenever people like want illumination, a lot of it's not needed, but that is what though, like the one scenario where having a first focal plane scope that can, that has a huge magnification range that's where it really comes in handy, especially too with if you're doing like a, instead of like the huge Christmas tree kind of reticle, if it mm-hmm. just illuminates like the center or close to the center, yeah. that's a that's really nice. New shooters too, like a, it's all, we all have different needs, but um, every, not guiding anymore, but still taking new shooters and hunters every year. For when sure. you hand somebody a scope that's on a rifle, even if the rifle fits them great, if they look through it and you can see that they're doing this like head bob maneuver and mm-hmm. they can't figure out what's going on and then they're like, which one is it? That's usually not good. <laughs> <laughs> but if you have a, a relatively simple reticle and especially illumination, I didn't used to be as big of a fan of illumination except for especially newer shooters where if you turn on illumination and it's a center post or center dot, it's very easy, especially with like kids, to be like yeah. the red thing. Put the red thing I, where you I want do it to like, go. I do like the loophole fire dot. Yep. Like it's, it's, you can't like screw that you up. You can't mess it up. Yeah, it's like crosshairs, awesome. red dot. Yeah. I did have a scope that you would hit the illumination on, and it was a full Christmas tree, and it's like, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> yeah. this whole giant Everything. Yeah. You're like, oh, man. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a challenge. Okay, so we're we're not all over the map, but... We're we didn't touch the, how the like styles. a rangefinder how that's going to impact what scope you would use because what oh, you, you mentioned a dial too and you mentioned a dial. What did you say you did for a, for a turret? Yeah, uh, which style? Yeah, MOA is what I would. Yeah, my just first choice would be, but like the mil C reticle in that scope, same. I would be just as happy. But that's what I was starting to say is, depending on the solver that you use, whether you have a handheld rangefinder or a, a rangefinding binocular. Not everybody uses one or the, the other. Some mm-hmm. people still go and hunt and don't have a rangefinder. And if you're having to estimate ranges, like Jared's talking about, if you have a reticle that can do it, like a, a mill reticle in a first focal plane scope, that's going to be far easier than a second focal plane where you'd have to be on max to be able to do that. Uh, <clears throat> I use a rangefinding bino that does both. So it can tell me minutes or mills. So it doesn't matter. So it's just a math equation that whoever I'm with, and it's usually the other shooter, not me. If somebody's, you know, if I'm spotting for them, I'm just going to tell them a number. And half the time I'm dialing turret for them. So even if it's only a couple hundred yards, just to be able to say, you know, it's 3.5 and dial to that distance. I'm a, it's an investment. Oh, for sure. But I'm a big fan of, of, of some of the nice, 
rangefinding binos. I think there's like three or four now that are all real similar as far as features and function. Uh, but man, once I made the jump to that, it, it's a game changer. It's hard to go back after that. Yeah. You can, like, uh, I've been using the Leica GeoVid Pros, and they have a really easy-to-use app, and you can put multiple rifles in there. And in the app, you just pull it up and, like, oh, uh, when I'm done, I'll just I'll also load whoever else I'm hunting. I'll load their ballistic info in there so I can switch when I'm done or not hunting and then range and be like, oh, it's 7.2 MOA. This is what you need to do. And some of them will even integrate with like a Kestrel. Like if you want to get wind data, that's kind of next level. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It's, it's awesome. But, you know, life starts where? At? <laughs> I know exactly what Tyler's about to say. 20, what was five, I going to say? 2,500 bucks TA, for binos? tracking assistant thing. Oh, yeah, that one was pretty funny. No, I was just going to go to kind of like within tandem with what Luke was saying is like if your hunting partner has similar setups, it makes things easy easier so mm-hmm. that you guys are speaking the same language. Um, cause that could be like a big thing if you're on a hunt. And like I said earlier, it's like, it is a language. So if you guys are speaking two different things, and you're not on the same page, it can, it can really, change. It can make it really confusing. Like when we were hunting bears together, that was awesome because we, I knew what you were talking about and we did this little confirm thing. It was like, Oh no, it's off a little bit. So then we based on atmospherics, yep. but I knew what you were saying to do in the sense of like, we were on the same page there. That's another one I forgot. Um, the guy I do a lot of my hunts with Cody, I took some non-range finding binos for the first time in a while, and I was like, there's a buck. And he said, where? And we normally, with range finding binos, you'd say, he's at 330, and it immediately puts you in the right range to be able to talk right. the other That's guy That's where I'm it. looking. Oh, yeah. And when I didn't have them, I was like, uh, well, by the tree. And then you do the, well, there's a lot of tree. And then you're <laughs> The there, one by you? the rock. Yeah. And so it's like, I didn't realize how much we rely on that to not be able to just give your holdovers and stuff. But to also kind of narrow down, you know, this is the range that I'm looking in and talk somebody into an animal really quick. Uh, I was, I was going to revisit the first second focal plane because there's like a key tool when you have a range finder that I think really comes into play, which is being able to estimate widths and sizes uh, with a, with your reticle. So if you know the distance and you can, and you have a reticle that either has windage or elevation marks and you could be like well that is six moa wide and you know how far it is then you can back into exactly how far that is so like if you're hunting moose in alaska where they've got it's got to be at least 50 inches wide you can know at at every distance how far or how many moa 50 inches is and then it doesn't matter what magnification you're at because the the rebuttal is well you can do that on a second focal plane too if you're on max magnification, I'm not smart enough to remember every time if I'm on max magnification or not. And that's why I don't want to have to. That's what my setup for September is literally first focal plane mill. And I'm learning that with my cheat sheet, just because again, that 50 inches is really important. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that in Alaska there, most of those are 50 inches or four brow tines. You can count the four brow tines. That's easy. But if it's, it could be 60 inches wide and have three brow tines. You're, yeah. sh- you're gonna shoot that moose. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it would uh, be really painful to know. Like you're like, what if? But now you like know that. Oh nope, that one's too small, or that one's that one. Mean, I need to shoot. Yeah, the nice thing with like with having subtensions that are you know moa mill whatever you choose is um, you know like on I've got a spotting scope that has the same reticle as my rifle, 
So if instead of saying be as typically it was like, you know, say if you're shooting mm. and you miss and it's like, oh, you're like, I don't know, two target widths left, you know, instead yeah. of saying that you can just say like literally you're 3.5 mil or whatever else, you know, off this distance. It's really easy to when every time I like the same language kind of a thing that that's huge too. That's pretty cool. I'm a, I'm a big fan, especially at the range of having a reticle in a spotting scope mm-hmm. for that exact reason. Like it d- doesn't matter how far, how many inches, just, Hey, you're, you're two and a half MOA low. Make your adjustment. Good to go. Yeah. That makes it a lot easier. Cause I, I did just picture at the range when it's like six o'clock, how far six o'clock? There's just this, this you're back trying and to forth. Calculate. I don't yeah. know, it's the 700 yard steel target. There's no actual size reference. So I don't know. It's so always yeah. the uh, aim left edge or like, yeah. yeah, these very big generalizations. Yeah. Or just guessing feet. And then you have to like try to back that into MOA and you're like, Whoa, I, yeah. That's where it gets tricky. So my, my, my personal strategy is I dial for elevation, but then I hold over for wind. I don't know. You, you hold left, right for wind, not hold over. Yeah, yeah. sorry. I'm just yes. saying for people yes. who can't. Yeah. Over, you can be over to the side. Yeah. <laughs> That's, so I used to be a bigger fan of reticles that only had windage. They didn't have any elevation. Mm. And, but then with having other people that I take, you know, now wife and kids and things that it's easy to be able to say second one down or third hash mark down, things like that if they've shot enough. Um, so the, the windage part though, I've, the only time I've dialed have been at like a shooting school where if you're shooting a mile, well, that's yeah. when it's, yeah, it's, you know, in, in a rarely is the wind just constant, yeah. right? It's not like a, it's a sustained 12.7 miles per hour to the left. <laughs> and it takes a lot of shooting too, to be able to figure out wind. And unless you're using a Kestrel or something that's giving you an actual number to be able to. And what hunting scenarios are you going to have where you get to shoot and be like, well, it was three minutes left. If now you're I shooting over 300 yards, you might know what the wind's doing where you are, but, but you don't know what it is 150 yards from you. Yeah. Wind so is, wind is wind's voodoo. tough. Yeah. 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 So that, that's my, my personal strategy. I dial elevation and I, I just adjust with the reticle for wind. That was something you kind of touched on was like it pairing it with the rifle, but the caliber too. If you're shooting a crazy fast cartridge or um, something that's very purpose driven, like a like a 257, it's one of my favorite calibers. But it's going to run out of energy roughly at 500 yards for most things, especially if you're shooting like the lighter bullets. Um, so you don't necessarily need a scope that has an unlimited amount of travel or you know, has, has got a ton of travel to do the super long range stuff. It's mm-hmm. so flat shooting. That's one of the benefits of it, but you also can choose a lighter weight, you know, one inch tube scope versus a 30 millimeter or bigger. Um, if you're trying to do a lightweight setup, but something that is pairs really well with that specific caliber, but that m- it might not be as great for a 300 Weatherby or something that, you know, you're really going to stretch the legs on. I got another question. Uh, you're, you just bought your first rifle. So it's a Vanguard. And uh, you're going to do the same hunt, but you, maybe you don't have the same unlimited budget that for the, I mean, the, all the scopes that we picked were over two grand, I think. Mine uh, mine was a budget. It's about a thousand bucks, maybe $1,200. Look at you. Yeah. That's why I picked that one because I know for me, <laughs> hey, hey, I know for me, it's like, uh, 
I mean, I upgrade my gear all the time, but for, for me, just uh, that was a, like a crazy good value. So that's, the, that's why I like that one. Okay, so now you've got a, you've got a uh, max price level of $1,000. Oh, oh man. Jade, I know JD and I have been bouncing this one back and forth, that, that Burris. The Signature it? HD 3 to 15, I think retail is like 670 yeah. so it's, it's well under. But the other thing we didn't touch on is bases. That that's another thing that people will spend the money on the rifle. They'll spend the money even on the scope. Yeah. But then they'll go cheap on the bases, and we deal with it a lot with people that are like, can't get this thing to shoot. And then you shoot it for them, and you're like, here's the group, <laughs> and it shoots great. Mm-hmm. Bases are important, so don't forget about that, that you need to have high-quality rings and or pick rail, you know, whatever type of bases you're using. Yeah, don't get the real cheap ones on Amazon. No. Yeah. Mm-mm. Uh, I, I forgot the question. Totally. Uh, budget Sub thousand dollar yeah. scope I, for your van. Tyler did mine. So that's that was, the same that, one. That's probably the one that I've Whoa. been leaning through. So we've gone back and forth on this one. We're like, how this one's good. It checks that a good lot of box. boxes. Yeah. Um, the the zero stop, um, the reticle is very simple. It's got illuminated um, center post. It's a three to fifteen. It's a nice. good magnification. Jared. Well, I know. If, you don't, if you don't answer the one that I think, then we're going to tussle I, after this. What, what do you think I'm going to answer with? <laughs> the one you have that you most recently bought. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be it. What, so, so, and I'm going to sound like a Leopold fanboy by doing this, but instead of the Mark V, I'd say get the Mark III. So it's missing a couple things. One, it's second focal plane, right? So you're like, okay. But the magnification only goes up to like 12 or 14, I think. So with that, it's such a much lower magnification. You're, it's easier to hit the top. I feel like it's so, a thicker reticle than I would like. Yeah, for, the reticle's a little thick. But but what, it's, what's the time that you would be needing that to be first focal plane? You gonna dial that thing on? You gonna use the subtensions on four? No, no. I'll use it on twelve. But you just have to ensure that you are cranked to twelve if you're ever using subtensions. Mm. But, How far uh, are you gonna shoot that thing, Jared? What's um, the max range you're going to shoot? Oh, I don't know. I feel like that's... N- Say the number. What number? <laughs> what, what, I, don't, I don't know what you're looking for. I mean, if we're talking about hunting, I'm yes. not shooting anything past like five or 600 yards, personally. So but with that scope, I So I wouldn't don't, you be on max magnification in that scenario oh, absolutely. on a 12 power? Not yeah. every time. There's you th- would back down at 600 yards on... I no, have no. done many times. Absolutely. You and my dad, you're the only people I know <laughs> that do that. But it but it the it, the boxes it checks are its second focal plane, which is, you know, it's like okay, and it doesn't have illumination. Not a big deal on a second focal plane for me, but it does have parallax adjustment and it does have a zero stop. Um, it mm. can do one full rev, right? Or like most of a rev, it's like just you can't like click over past. So, it gets me out to like with my um, with like a 308, it gets you out, gets you out to like um, effective uh, energy level, right? As far as you can go, basically. So it, it kind of checks a lot of boxes. It's also pretty cheap and it's pretty lightweight. So it's a good trainer. Like I've got a lot of children, so I was like, it's a good trainer scope for that. So you do have a few kids. I got a, I got a couple, several, half dozen. Like What's two. yours, Luke? Um. There's a couple that I, I I've played with. I've I've recommended a few times the the VX3 HD. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a pretty good scope for the value. It's also super light for 
for people that that's important to the uh, the some of the vortexes and that and kind of the near a thousand dollars I think are a, a decent option. Um, but yeah, I I probably would go for uh, the 3HT, but I don't think you can get that in the first focal plane. Mm-mm. That's so. the other thing in the VX3s. <clears throat> they'll have they have some with the larger objective. Mm-hmm. So then you have the uh, sight height issue of people with smaller framed shooters that now yeah. have this objective that's bigger. That's a good thing to gather light, but if the scope now has to sit higher, if it's a woman, kid, someone that's just not a big frame, they're likely to have issues unless yeah. they have an adjustable comb, and so there's another set of issues that come up. That's one of the reasons that I will sometimes not shoot on max magnification because a lot of the less expensive scopes, when you have it dialed all the way to Two 11, max then your eye box is, you have to be in the exact perfect spot. And they're, they seem to be more forgiving when you're lower in the magnification settings. You so. going with the same one? I think I'm going to stick with that one. That, that'd be the one if I needed to buy a new one on a new, like under a thousand bucks if I'm just going to go. I'm actually probably going to, I bought a 257, so I'll probably actually put that one on it. So I got a Vanguard the- Talon. That's the really tough part about like the optic ranges, like the price points. Yeah. There's these huge gaps in price points where you go like zero to five, five to a thousand, thousand to two thousand, and that it's really messy in there to it is to fight yeah. between stuff. And then the, all the stuff we're talking about, ballistic stops, one inch versus thirty millimeter, first focal plane versus second, the weight of them, illuminated reticles. Some of them you start adding four or five hundred dollars just to have an illuminated reticle, and you're like going through the selections and then you're like, whoa, <laughs> what, what happened? The computer right. broke. And it's like, yeah. no, it's, there's certain selections that just end up costing you a lot more. It's tricky, tricky. Man, there's so many options. The relationship between yeah, scopes and rifles, like a rifle without a scope is kind of worthless. Scope without a rifle. I mean, you can look through it, yeah. but so what? So, yeah, I mean, they need, we've got, what is that, a uh, die? Psychotic really? No. Like, oh. oh, come on, man. Sim- I wish I had symbiotic. it. Symbiotic. Yeah. Maybe. I think yeah. symbiotic relationship. I had a different word in my head, but I'm going to go with it. Mutually dependent. We're codependent. There you go. Yeah, they, they make books for that. Um, so many options. So many options. We need to, we need to land this plane because I've got a, a meeting coming up here. But uh, Look at any, your list. Any, Was there anything any, we didn't any cover? Thought, Jared, anything you really like, man, I really want to work this out no oh, the I, future I, I, you didn't talk oh, the, about the future, the future what it looks like, like what, what down the road. oh man um i, I do mm. think we could there's a lot there but like i think uh there's some really good ideas and then some that are just like i'm like oh man i think that's gonna fizzle out but i think integrating more electronics into their like range estimation um direction of fire and knowing like you know like being able to like communicate with gps's and all your stuff like i think that's gonna that's it's, that's been working its and, way into binoculars yeah, right where you yeah. can you can essentially drop a pen on yep. your last range and it it works yeah like, i know what? i know sig's got some stuff too with like um they're able you know if you you know it knows what direction you're pointed at and all everything else yeah. and it knows your range and that's pretty cool so i think you'll see more stuff like that but honestly i think um optics too like man they've gotten so much better in the last uh you know couple decades you know comparing old stuff to now but uh um 
I feel like having binoculars with all the stuff in there is more important to me than having it in the optic. I'd rather just have a good optic that I can uh, dial with. That mm. makes me happy. I hope that there's more um, advancements in calculating wind. A Kestrel's a great tool, but it, in the heat of the moment, when you just have a moment to get off a shot and you're already set up land prone or however you're shooting, it's not super convenient to bust that thing out and yeah, try to calculate. It's true. So, but think about trying to have it integral into a rangefinder or a binocular. You'd have to have like a widget that pops out of it and like <laughs> like a Kestrel does to be able to calculate the actual wind. So somebody will figure out something that uh, where it's actually integrating it and calculating that number for you. Hmm. At least I hope. I don't have anything on like the future, but kind of my, my takeaways is whatever your setup is, is just being super confident with it. I think that's one thing that I've learned a lot in the last couple of years is just like, just know your stuff. Go Whatever shoot. it is, Go know, know it all the way in and out. So, That's almost exactly what I was going to say. I think there are people that have taken incredible shots, long shots, whatever, whatever your measure of incredible is, with super basic setups. Uh, some of these scopes that we've just talked about are like relatively new in the last five to ten years. So uh, the ones that we also probably talked less good about uh, have been around a long time and people have probably done amazing things with those scopes. It's not that they're bad. It's not my preference or our preference, but uh, if you know your stuff, you know your rifle and what it's capable of, you know what more importantly you're capable of. And sometimes it's not what your ability to pull a trigger is, but it's your ability to gauge wind, understand the dope chart in your head or just your ability to calculate. There's some, I, I know some people that, they're great shots. Like when everything's done, like they're probably like to have the, the best trigger break or the, the least flinch, but they're so slow and processing like, okay, the target's 834 yards. And like the amount of time it takes them to work out the ballistic solution for 834 yards, you know, it just, it's slow. So yes, um, skills over gear. Just yeah. Hone just your skills, get confident in whatever setup you have. And I think you're going to be in really good shape. And get a Night Force uh, NX-8 432. <laughs> <laughs> That's in our custom shop now, too. So Yeah, we just added that to the custom shop. So yeah. I'm a big fan of that scope. I hunted with it a lot. And I used the 2.5 to 20 a lot last last year. So yeah. I like that one as well. Also available on the custom shop. Yeah. I would say Luke said there was a ton of topics here. Um, and we could probably do like five podcasts. If you had any questions or feedback or anything yeah. you want us to dive into... There's no way there won't be comments on this one. Yeah. Oh, that man, we're going to get beat up, I'm sure. Because yeah. it's like, where do you go? Where do you go from here? But Send it to our, what's our email for a podcast? On our mark at weatherby.com. Drop us a comment. Maybe we'll do an entire segment just for you. Oh, so. and if you're following along, uh, the gentleman that had the uh, his grandpa's Mark V and the 270, he emailed back. And so we're going to be shipping him... Uh, a Zeiss scope and then uh, doing a custom floor plate for that rifle. So um, we got the floor plate and we'll be uh, starting doing some engraving soon. So kind of cool, cool update on the mail call. <laughs>